Church Audio Podcast. Today on the podcast, we are looking at the question of why bad things happen to good people, what to do, grappling with that. We're looking at a passage from Job chapter 1 and 2, as well as a passage from Psalm 26, and then wrapping it up with a passage from Hebrews. These are all out of the Revised Common Lectionary, which we'll get into a little bit more in the weeks to come. Uh, and we just want to invite everybody out this Saturday to Fall for Art, 6 to 9 p.m. at our church. We've got six local artists that are going to be showing their work and some live music. So it's going to be a good time. Let's head to the talk. North Shore Vineyard, downtown Calvary. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and start today. Um, I, I haven't told you all this the last few weeks, but when this church started a few years ago, we, we've done several kinds of different approaches to teaching. Uh, I, I really like going through books of the Bible for a long period of time. So we went through the book of Philippians, and then shortly after that, we did the Gospel of John, which took us like two years. And then I did something crazy I said I'd never do. We did the book of Revelation earlier this year, and... Um, and some of some of you stuck with us anyway, and um, you know we we I like doing that, and then we intersperse little topical series here and there. But I've decided um, to take a different approach. We're going to be using the Revised Common Lectionary, which that sounds like a scary word. It's just basically a collection of scriptures for each weekend service that follows the church calendar for three years. So at the end of three years' time, you've you've kind of gone through a whole lot of the Bible, um, and that helps me with my teaching team because if there's going to be a weekend that I'm out, I can say, okay, here's the passages for your weekend. Now, the weird thing, and what I like about the Revised Common Lectionary is there are it, it's it's ecumenical, so there's churches all over the world that are going through that. I like the fact that we're kind of tied in and going through some of the same scriptures that other churches are going through. Um, so I like that connection to the larger body. But the other thing is it forces me to um, deal with passages that I wouldn't normally deal with. Um, I, I've heard it said that most pastors only have about six messages, and everything is a version of those six messages. Um, and, and, and basically... I've got, like, my favorite passages, you know, Romans 8 and John 3. And, I, like, if it's just up to me, if I'm just going to pick something each week, uh, I'm going to go for these passages, like, that I like. Uh, the Revised Common Lectionary forces me to uh, grapple with some passages that I wouldn't normally teach. And so, uh, like James, I've never taught anything out of James for the last couple of weeks. And today is no exception. I have never taught a message on Job and you are going to have to have the patience of Job to get through it this morning. Um, so if you have your, your uh, bulletin, I put the passage on the front of it. Normally we would have everybody read this passage together, but it's got some strange words in it. So um, I'm going to try to attempt to read this myself. This is from Job chapter 1, verse 1, and 2, 1 through 10. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. Job, Job. 
This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. One day the heavenly beings came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still persists in his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him for no reason. Then Satan answered the Lord, Skin for skin, all that people have they will give to save their lives. But stretch out your hand now. And touch his bone and flesh, and he will curse you to his face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well, he is in your power. Only spare his life. So Satan went out from the very presence of the Lord and inflicted loathsome sores on Job from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Job took a potsherd with which to scrape himself and sat among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still persist in your integrity? Curse God and die. Encouraging words. But he said to her, You speak as any foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? And all this, Job did not sin with his lips. I want to give a little background on the book of Job because it is a strange book in the canon of Scripture. Uh, You may not know this, but Job is actually the oldest piece of literature in the Bible that they've come across. They've, the Bible scholars have studied the, the Hebrew in which Job was written, and it's an ancient form of, form of Hebrew that predates the other uh, Old Testament books by several hundred years. Um, and, and, and in the biblical canon, particularly in the Old Testament, Job is interesting because it offers a very different take on suffering than the dominant voice in Scripture. Many of us don't realize this, or we don't think about this much, that the Old Testament does not speak with just one voice. (laughs) We like to imagine that the Bible is absolutely clear on every issue, and the reality is it's not. Uh, the Old Testament, if, if all we had was the first five books of the Bible and say maybe Proverbs, um, when it came to suffering and blessings and curses and good and evil, it would be pretty black and white. You know, I, like the, I think that's why we like the book of Proverbs. It's like tweets, you know. <laughs> book of Proverbs boils everything down to 144 characters or less and says, you know, do this, you'll be blessed. Do this, you'll be cursed. We like that. Show us where the lines are. Show us who's in, who's out. I'm good with that. But then Job comes along, and it's this weird book with, I mean, it's, it's hard to even pull out a point from it because it's so strange. And it deals with the, the primary subject of what, what about when bad things happen to good people? See, the book of Proverbs is like, if you're good, you're going to get blessed. If you're bad, you're going to get cursed. When Job comes along and he messes everything up, muddies the waters, and, and, and we see that, that it's, a, it's grappling with the question of what do we do when really bad things happen to good people. Now, I have to say that Job, after reading this, it's not a terribly comforting book. Can I be honest? I know I'm a bad pastor, but I don't take, I mean, I've, I've heard a lot of people take comfort in Job over the years. It's been a source of inspiration, like you can persevere through trials and hardship. But there's something in this that's a little disturbing that Job is just leading a good life. 
He's not hurting anybody. He's righteous. He's blameless. He's walking in integrity. He's rich. He's got a family. And God sees Satan and says, hey, you considered this guy? <laughs> like, I know you've been out there walking on the earth looking for people. Have you seen this dude? I love this guy. And then Satan's like, ah, he only loves you because you give him money and health and all this. I'm trying to do my best southern devil voice. <laughs> Take all that stuff away. He's going to curse you to your face. Uh, <laughs> but there's something a little bit unnerving and, and, and not comforting that God makes a bet with the devil on Job's life. I mean, can we be honest? Does anybody feel that way? Like, I don't like to think of God being up in heaven saying, ah, Christmas having a pretty good go at it. Have you thought about him lately? <laughs> <laughs> So, I, I mean, I know where Job ends up. You know, he gets everything back, but he loses his family. He loses his, like, finances, like, everything that he's got, he loses. And I know it ends up in a good place, but the fact is he's kind of the center of some kind of cosmic bet. That's not a comforting thing to me. But I want to point out a few noteworthy things in this, in this book of Job, and we're only scratching the surface, obviously, this morning. First is the bad things that happen to Job don't come from the hand of God. There is a song that that has been popular for, I don't know, 10 or 15 years now by Matt Redman. Blessed be your name. And it's it's inspired by Job. But I want to say that I I have a problem with that song. This is the, the bridge of it. You give and take away, but my heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. Now, I don't have a problem with that sentiment. But it's not God who is behind Job's suffering. It's Satan. God's not destroying Job's life. God's not killing his family. God's not just squashing him to see if he'll, oh, will he still trust me when I kick him and step on him? That's, that would be a little bit sadistic. God's not behind it. Now, God allows it to happen. But here's the deal. God's actually betting on Job because he sees something in Job. He sees that, God, that, that Job actually has gold inside him. So the bad things that happen to Job don't come from God, and the bad things that happen to Job are not the result of his sin. Now, the book of Proverbs primarily deals with what happens when we sin, the negative effects that happen to us. And we've all sinned. We've all done stupid stuff, and we've paid the price, right? Some of us just have to touch that hot stove, no matter how many times we're told, don't touch the hot stove, and we pay the price for it. But this isn't a book about that. The book of Job grapples with the problem of evil and suffering, but Job himself is not given any clear answers on why he suffered so much. He is left with mystery. And this is another area where I have to complain. Like, it's not a terribly comforting book. Now, we, the readers, get to see this part where, where there's a wager on his life. But, but Job doesn't get to see that. Job's left out of that piece of information. And even at the end, after he gets everything, he doesn't get an explanation from God why it all happened. He doesn't get anything that satisfies him. We long for answers to stuff, don't we? And this, this terrible tragedy in Oregon the, uh, a, a few days ago, another mass shooting. I'm, I'm sure our, most of our first reactions in here, number one, is just shock. Like, really, again? 
and then maybe anger, and then sadness. But real quick, behind all of those things, the next thing we think of is why. Why did this happen? Why does somebody walk into a school and start shooting people? Is it a mental health issue? Is it because access to guns is, is too prevalent in this country? Is it because he was raised in a broken home? Is it because he hated Christians? What? I mean, we, we want to answer that. And, and within just, you know, an hour of the shooting, people are already fighting on Facebook is why did that happen? Because we want to understand. We want to grapple with this. We want to figure this out because I think when we understand something, it makes us feel like we're in control. Control is an illusion. <laughs> Job is not given an answer as to why all these things happen. He's restored. He's blessed. But he's not given an answer. So what's the point of Job? What, what can we draw from the story of Job? Um, well, the first thing is that our trust in God does not need to be dependent upon our circumstances. If we attach our trust to the gifts that God gives, that's going to be an up and down thing. If we are, if we are only trusting God because he, he takes care of us or, or, or seems to, if we attach our, our, our trust in the economy or in a political outcome or to our jobs, if we attach our trust in those things, it's just going to go up and down. What we see is Job is the, Job is the encouragement to, to trust God, particularly when things aren't going the way that we want them. And secondly, we should walk in humility towards others who are suffering because we are incapable of discerning the big picture. If you look at most of the book of Job, it's, jo- the, the, it's just kind of this conversation between Job's friends and him. And he's got awful friends. Because they want to figure out what's wrong with them. And they're just sitting around analyzing, well, you, you must have done something wrong to God. God's mad at you. He's punishing you for some kind of sin. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's most of the book. But one thing this book teaches us is that Job's friends didn't know what was going on. They're just talking out their heads. You know, they couldn't see the big picture. Maybe we need to walk with a little bit more humility towards those who are suffering around us. Instead of trying to fix them or judge them, maybe we can just be with them in it. Maybe we can love them through it. The third thing, the third point, is trusting God does not mean that we passively receive every bit of suffering as fate. I think sometimes when it comes to trusting God, we just think, oh, you know, God's in control. <laughs> My life's falling apart. Oh, God's in control. <laughs> we, just, we just take it. I really think sometimes God likes offending us to see if we'll kick back a little bit. Like, God, I thought I was your friend. Is this is how you treat your friends? Come on, a little help here. Six years ago, almost six years ago, we planted this church in uh, our, our first uh, weekend service that we opened to the public was in January 2010. 
Now, we had moved over here from the South Shore, and uh, I've shared this before, and, and, you know, this even happened with Brian. Brian's going to be planting a church in Mid-City, but I hear all these friends of mine who go to plant churches, and they say, we put our house on the market, and within two days, it was sold. Brian, he didn't even put his house on the market. Somebody knocked on my door, glory to God, and my house got sold. Me and Dina put our house on the market, and, and it's still for sale. <laughs> if anybody wants a beautiful condo in beautiful Kenner, Louisiana, see me? <laughs> but we didn't have some miraculous thing happen with our house. I'm, not, I'm, I'm happy for people that that happens to. Um, I really am. But we, we move our family over here, and that's a crazy thing, pulling your kids out of their relationships and their schools. And we move to a new area, you know, a beat of springs from Canada. That's a bit of a culture change. And we start this church with about 10 or 15 people. And, you know, we've got enough financial support to get us through the first five months. And by month five, we're down to about $6,000 in the account. But we're starting to turn the corner. Things are starting to look up. It's been very tense. It's like every time somebody would show up, I would just be like the people at CC's. Welcome to CC's. I, you know, I was obnoxious. Just, just I was anybody who shows up. But by month six and a half, just when things were starting to turn the corner, I had a heart attack at age thirty-seven. It's one that the cardiologists affectionately refer to as a widow maker because you're usually dead in about five minutes. And somehow, I didn't die. But I didn't have insurance. <laughs> We'd had money to get insurance. And all of a sudden, I got thrust into the whole situation with insurance. I had no, I'd had insurance for seven years. I didn't know anything about this national debate on health care and stuff. I, you know, it's like, I've got, I'm, I'm covered. I'm cool. All of a sudden, I'm getting denied by insurance companies. This is pre-heart attack. And it wasn't because I had any health conditions. They were denying me because of my kids and my wife. And so I have this heart attack in July of 2010 and uh, got a stent put in my heart. Did not see this coming at all. I was not worried about having a heart attack. And I'm in the hospital for like four days, four or five days. And every day I'm thinking, how much is this going to cost? <laughs> they bring me an aspirin. I'm like, how much is this? <laughs> And I'm trying to figure it out in my head. Boy, was I off. You know, I was playing like the price of a ride in my head because we get the bill about a month later and I about had a second heart attack. Because that, that four or five days in the hospital, about $100,000. And I found myself <laughs> trusting in God, but I wasn't happy with the outcome. I told God, I was like, Really? I mean, if I was going to have a heart attack, why couldn't I have one six months earlier when I had insurance? I mean, we packed up and moved to the other side of the lake and tried to start a new life because we believe in you, God. Like, we're not trying to fight against you. We're, we're, we, we believe in the love of Jesus. Is this how you treat your friends, your kids? Come on. Trusting in God is not passively Receiving everything that happens to us is fate. I think God wants us, when we see something that we don't feel is right, talk to God about it. Don't just take it. Say, God, come on. This brings me to the second passage for today, which is 
Psalm 26. David says, Vindicate me, Lord, for I have lived a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord and have not faltered. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind, for I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and have lived in reliance on your faithfulness. I do not sit with the deceitful, nor do I associate with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go about your altar, Lord, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling of all your wonderful deeds. Lord, I love your house where you live, the place where your glory dwells. I do not take away my soul along with, do not take away my soul along with sinners, my life with those who are bloodthirsty and whose hands are wicked schemes, whose right hands are full of bribes. I lead a blameless life. Deliver me and be merciful to me. My feet stand on level ground. In the great congregation, I will praise the Lord. You see that? That's what I'm talking about. You know? Hey, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not hanging out with all the bad kids. I'm not hanging out with liars. I'm not trying to destroy this world. I'm your man. Vindicate me. Have mercy on me. See, that's not a lack of faith. That's a confidence in a relationship with God. I see that with Job. I see that in the Psalms. I see that in the New Testament. Now, the last thing I want to look at today, this is a strange collection of passages that the <laughs> revised, there goes my timer, uh, that the, divine, the revised common lectionary gives to us. But I see a thread in them all. See, I think any time we look at the Old Testament, if, if we were just given the, the book of Job, if that was our only means of determining who God is, I'm, I'm, i got to tell you, our picture of God would be a little messed up. <laughs> Thank God that we have Jesus. I like to imagine this, and this is probably, you know, heretical, but that's okay. I like to imagine that the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're sitting up in heaven one day, and they're looking down on earth at, at all the crazy ideas that people have about who God is. They're looking down at how many people think all these weird and things that are untrue about God. They're looking down at all the religious wars that are fought between people arguing over what, is, what God is like and killing each other. And finally, Jesus says, Dad, you want me to go show him what we're really like? His dad says, yes. So Jesus steps down into our world. That's what the passage is about here in Hebrews 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed the heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels that the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, the son of man that you care for him? For you made them a little lower than the angels, and you've crowned them with glory and honor. 
and put everything under their feet. And in putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet, at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. See, I really believe Jesus is the ultimate picture of Job. Job is the foreshadowing. Job is a picture of this guy who's righteous and blameless, who is going to uh, be restored and step into something greater at the end. But Jesus is the reality of it. Job is the echo. Jesus is the voice. Job's the shadow. Jesus is the reality. Because Jesus has stepped into our world, and he's faced everything that you and I will ever face book of Hebrews says he learned compassion through what he suffered. I don't know how that works theologically. God is love, but some, some, somehow in becoming one of us, God learns compassion on us, not outside, but as one of us. God with us. Emmanuel. And it is through the things that Jesus suffers that he's actually given authority. Jesus doesn't get authority by coming down and coercing people and beating them up and threatening folks with like, if you don't follow me, you're going to hell. Jesus gets authority by power under, not by power over. By serving, by giving of himself, by suffering, by laying his life down. And now he's exalted. I think in a very much more smaller way, this same thing works in our life when we go through suffering. If we will trust God and hold on to God in the midst of our suffering, we will gain authority on the other side of that suffering to speak into that. When I was 22 years old, I thought I knew everything. What's worse is I was a Christian. So you add that on the top. I thought I knew everything about everything. I would tell married people. I'd give them advice. I'd give people advice with kids on how they should raise their kids because I listened to Christian radio and I read books. Though I was neither married nor had kids of my own. <laughs> and then... A few years later, I got married, and I realized very quickly that I didn't know sh hardly anything. <laughs> you know, I, I, in fact, I mean, my prayer life got whittled down to, oh, God. <laughs> well, you know things are going rough when your prayer life gets whittled down to one or two words. Help. <laughs> Mercy. <laughs> And that first five years of marriage, me and Dina joked, but it, it, it was not a joke at the time. I'm glad we can laugh about it now. But it was, it was hell. It was rough. I didn't think we were going to make it. It took us like five years to become friends and like each other again. 
But I can tell you now, so, so here we are, uh, 18 years into being married, and now we, we teach this little marriage class. And we joke, we're just like, who'd have ever thought we'd teach anything on relationships? This is crazy. And here's the deal. It's not because we're brilliant at doing this thing. We, we figured out a little bit more than we knew at the beginning. But I think because we've been through the fire, I've got a little bit more authority to speak into those things than I had when I was 22. <laughs> when you go through financial ruin and you come out the other side, when you face, I mean, even going through that heart attack, I came out the other side. Like, I mean, I, I went through some depression and stuff after that because when you face your own mortality at 37, it's, not a, it's a scary thing. I don't, I don't fear death the way I did. When you come through the fire in your life, you've got compassion and authority. That's the other side of this. You have compassion. You're not going to be like one of Job's friends when somebody's having things wrong going, oh, well, you just need to tithe more. You need to read your Bible more. You need to, you know, whatever. You can actually love people. And I think that this is where God is going with all this stuff today. Why do we need to trust God in the midst of our our, our suffering and hard times? Because it's in suffering and hard times that God removes our illusions about this world. He deals with our false reality. He deals with our ego. He deals with these things that, that keep us from experiencing his life to the fullest. And it's through the trials that we become more like Christ. As Jesus has stepped into our world and suffered among us, so we suffer. We've got this illusion oftentimes that is propagated, particularly in the United States, that if you just follow Jesus, your life is going to get easier. My experience has been, in many ways, it was a lot easier when I wasn't following Jesus. But it wasn't life. I just want to get quiet for a moment. Why don't you just bow your head and let's just uh, let's wait on the Lord for a second. I just want to do something maybe a little it's a little different than what we would normally do but if you're in here this morning and you just feel like you can totally identify with Job you just wonder is there some cosmic bet against me things are, are, are you can totally identify with you know I'm, I'm trying to follow God I'm not against God at all but but I'm I don't, I don't know how to make sense out of circumstances in my life right now and you would like some prayer um if this isn't too weird for you if you'd mind standing up, um, if, if, if you would say you identify with that, and we want to pray for you. All right, thanks. Okay. Thank you. If there's anybody else, we'll just wait another few seconds. If you're standing near one of these people, or uh, if you just uh, 
if, you, if you'd like to, to pray f- for them or reach your hand towards them, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Um, just find somebody near you and just, uh, you may want to gather around them and just lay your hand on the back of them. If it's okay, you can ask them first. Um, Lord, right now we want to just speak against um, just every lie that stands up against you, that this is going to be the end. Um, that you're not there, that you don't care. Lord, every lie about the future, every bit of anxiety. We just speak the words of Jesus. Peace, be still. Peace, be still. God, we pray for every person standing up right now. God, we pray that your grace would be upon them in the midst of their circumstance. And we join with the, with the Psalm of David and we say, God, answer here now and answer. We, at, we do not passively receive these circumstances. We do not receive uh, these things going on right now, God. We ask for your help, your grace, your answer Right now, we ask not as people who are running away, but people who trust you with our lives today, God. Hear us and answer us, Lord. Let your light break through the clouds, Lord. Let your provision come now, Lord. Lord, those who need physical healing, we ask for that, Lord. We ask for your healing touch to be upon us, Lord. And Lord, for those who are worried about the future, God, we just pray the comfort of your spirit right now, God. And Lord, we ask for, for, for answers to, to things that have been prayed for for months and years right now, God. We pray for the answer to those things, God. And I just want to bless, I just want to speak hope over folks this morning. Lord, where people have given up, God, that you would just just rekindle hope in their hearts, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And we just speak blessing over every person standing right now. We bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We bless you with grace, with peace, with strength and courage. We bless you with clarity of heart and mind, with eyes to see and ears to hear. Your shepherd's voice. In Jesus' name. Amen.